Stand by for animation. Many writers of wisdom literature down through all of recorded history have used themes, illustrations, and metaphors having to do with agriculture. Sowing and reaping, planting and harvesting, cultivating the field by tending to the soil, and plants or trees bearing fruit. For instance, take what the prophet Jeremiah wrote in the 6th century BC during a time when his nation was split into two kingdoms, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and his fellow citizens were enduring periods of both exile and occupation by conquering enemies. In one section, he writes, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. We are all, like trees, going to experience seasons of drought and there's not a thing we can do to make it rain. The deciding factor in whether or not we stay vibrant and continue to bear fruit in the midst of it has to do with where we are planted. Are our roots deep in good soil with access to nourishment and hydration? If so, the year of drought and heat, though challenging, doesn't induce growth-stunting fear, withering anxiety, and frustration-fueled resentment that can break us down. To the contrary, our leaves stay green and we can continue to bear fruit. And this is tied first to what it is we root ourselves into in regard to what we base our ultimate hope and strength, and secondly, our mindset in terms of how we respond to circumstances that are so often completely out of our control. Just like we can't control the weather, neither do we control outbreaks leading to pandemics and the economic upheaval that occurs as a direct consequence. What we can control is how we respond. A certain level of emotional detachment is important since we can't think with our feelings and we can't even think clearly when we allow our emotions to redline. There are ways to create wedges that enable you to detach and not be crippled by fear and anxiety in the face of stress or even certain traumatic events, but it takes the intention to do something about it and then work at it. The main factors are mindset, thinking patterns, and even the willingness to employ things such as meditation, Prayer is one viable form, and physical activities including exercise at whatever your thresholds, and it might even be trying some breathing exercises. There are many resources out there worth checking out in regard to the physical side of things, and please check the show notes for some recommendations, but what I want to dwell on in our brief time together has to do with our thoughts. So something bad has happened, is happening. Stop and ask yourself, what are you going to do about it? What to do? The answer is most often not simply going out and fixing the situation or eradicating the source of trouble. Again, the drought is here and you can't just go fix the weather and make it rain. What can you do? What must you do? Stay calm. 
Look around. Make a call. Think it over. Take command of your thinking and take some action. What does that action look like? Well, of course, it depends on the situation, but sometimes the best thing you can do is take measures to guard yourself against giving in to the natural impulses to become anxious, bitter, and resentful about what has happened or is not happening. In our current situation, at the time of this airing, we're in the midst of quarantine because of the COVID-19 outbreak. Our mobility in both actual and figurative senses is somewhat compromised can't venture out to places other than parks and trails, not such a bad thing, can't congregate, can't hit the gym or the studio for training or yoga or art or any other activities you do in a studio setting, and even career activities are limited or curtailed altogether. If we're not careful, we can slouch into the self-defeating posture of complacency and laziness and spend too much time on our devices, binge-watching streamed movies or shows or re-watching the same movies we've seen 187 times. Of course, indulging in some nostalgia by re-watching some old classics can be tactical in times like these, but just moderation. But allow me to direct your attention to a timeless, truly epic story that is worth reading or listening to if you prefer books in audio form. It's the story of Joseph son of Jacob, who lived 1,900 years prior to the other famous Joseph from the Bible, the husband of Mary, mother of Jesus. As a teenager, he, as his dad's favorite, sported a coat of many colors, perhaps you've heard the story, and drove his brothers bonkers by telling them how his dreams had the entire family bowing down to him. Yeah, that goes over really well with the siblings, right? Well, go to the book of Genesis and read or listen to chapters 37 through 50 for the amazing account of what happened as his brothers sold him to slave traders who eventually took him to Egypt where he would go from being a royal official's servant to prison due to false accusations and then from prison to being installed by Pharaoh as the prime minister. And because he had such power and pulled the levers of that region's greatest economy, which enabled him to eventually save his entire family in the midst of a widespread drought. It's a riches to rags, back to riches story that has everything. Drama, intrigue, scandal, mercy, and redemption. One particularly noteworthy element of the story concerns Joseph's family life after he had reached the pinnacle of his political career. He married and had two sons. One, the younger, he named Ephraim, which means, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, Joseph recognized that in the land where he experienced bondage due to the treachery of his own brothers and then imprisonment in a dungeon after being falsely accused of something scandalous, he managed to keep moving, continuing to do good, fruitful things, and actually was able to rise out of the mire and change his world even saved his entire family, including his jealous, backstabbing, no-account brothers. The scenes of his mercy upon them and explaining to them how what they meant for harm God used for ultimate good 
is absolutely astounding and worth taking in. What was his secret? If you read or listen to the story, you'll discover that despite the unthinkably awful circumstances he was caught up in, he never stopped trusting in both the presence and goodness of God, and that faith enabled him to not only endure, but even mobilized him to do great things. So here we are in the midst of drought in the form of the COVID-19 pandemic that has been and continues to be a massive disruption. One truth underscored by this whole experience is how so much of life is outside our control. No level of health and wealth can protect us from what can be the onset of catastrophic events or circumstances. No matter how much money we have, how strong our mind and body, and how elite our performance in terms of work or academic realms, chaos is going to erupt. When the stuff hits the fan, your money won't buy your way out of it. You can't yoga, spin, jujitsu, or crossfit your way around it. And your degrees and career trophies aren't going to solve the problem. Now, this is not to say that wise patterns of living, taking shape of things such as spending less than you earn, daily exercise, eating well, and working hard at school and career do not position you to perhaps better endure and respond to most challenges, but bad things are going to happen and they can lay us flat out. The question then becomes how we will respond. What will you do? Let me throw this out for you to chew on for a moment. Here's a word that I am willing to wager that not a single listener to this episode at the time it is first airing has ever heard. Malariotherapy, the treatment of disease by raising the body temperature through infecting the patient with malaria. In 1917, the Austrian physician Julius Wagner Urig induced fever in patients suffering paralytic dementia by infecting them with malaria parasites, and it actually worked. In 1927, he received the Nobel Prize for his discovery of the healing properties of malarial fever. There is a fascinating principle on display here. Sometimes the very best solution to a serious problem takes the shape of what seems to be another perhaps just as bad condition. Could it be that challenging circumstances that can make us, in a sense, feverish, sweaty, and tremendously uncomfortable can actually provide a remedy? What's the application here with what we're in the midst of? Perhaps we can view this pandemic or any borderline calamitous event or circumstance as a jolt that shocks us into a renewed sense of growth, almost like an extreme therapeutic treatment that can free us from other more terminal forms of dysfunction and decay by redirecting our focus onto the most important aspects of our lives and we can start to gauge where we are and in what direction we are heading. And this isn't confined to just achievement in professional, academic, and even high-end recreational realms, but in all the areas of being a person who thrives in the time you have here. What do you want your life to look like? What do you want to look like as a person? How do you want to be perceived? 
What's your strategy to make these things start to become a reality? What's your mission? Who are you going to help accomplish theirs? Could that be your new mission? How are you going to strengthen yourself so that you can strengthen, help, encourage, inspire, and comfort others? It might be that in some cases, we don't need a prescription for the fever. The fever itself is a kind of prescription. Jesus' half-brother James wrote the following in a letter he sent to Christians who were at the time scattered due to tremendous, often deadly, persecution they faced from religious and political authorities in the region. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. It can be that our current rugged circumstance or any trial or tribulation you experience can actually serve as the catalyst for growth and maturity that leads to enhanced capacities moving forward. It's all about how we respond. No doubt we are in the grip of an awful thing that affects each of us personally and every layer of our society, our nation, our communities. In no way am I trying to make light of this dread situation and its effects, some that may become true long-term game-changers. But if in the throes of a tribulation you are of sound mind and health, one thing it can't steal from you is that you still have 24 hours every day to do things that fortify mind, body, and soul. We can have green leaves and bear fruit in the midst of it, and it comes down to the things, ideas, and activities to which we focus our attention, time, and energy. So even though we can't do the things we wish we could or go where we would like to go, we still have those hours available to us to take measures to grow and improve in authentic and perhaps even life-altering ways. Your only limit is your resolve and your imagination, and that, my friends, is under your control. We must and can adapt. Getting back to the idea of how and in what you are planted, it is not to be taken as being stationary, immobile, or complacent. It's about grounding yourself in your overall life approach, which includes your mindset, in a reality that actually has the power to nourish your soul the very core of your being, so that when chaos erupts, and it will, or things around you shut down, you are able to stand firm and continue bearing good fruit. This particular drought is a great opportunity to examine where we are planted and whether or not it has an abundant source of hydration and nourishment. If the soil I am rooted into mainly consists of money and career concerns, then I am thirsty and starting to dry up. Are those things vital components of a properly ordered and managed life? Of course, but material things and achievements are not the prime and lasting sources of what makes life so grand, are they? You know what does. It's experiencing and being an agent for love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those come from another source, and it is often the case that when something happens to strip away or completely shatter what we thought would provide these life-giving elements, we are redirected to what was there all along, but we're just too distracted to see it. And as a pandemic also forces us to collide with mortality of ourselves, our loved ones, and even certain dreams we might have had, we are forced to look at things from a different perspective as we face our deepest fears and insecurities. After all, about the only two things we can do with death are, first, postpone it, which is only a partial solution, and secondly, transfer the whole set of values connected with it to another realm from time to eternity. For those who believe death is the cessation of consciousness, the end of being, then you might as well not think about it too much and just get as much out of this life as possible before it's lights out. Get busy living or get busy dying. However, the overwhelmingly vast majority of people around the world have the sense that human consciousness self-awareness, and our capacities for reflection and intentionality are symptoms of a higher transcendent reality that physical death serves as the gateway into. Is that true? Can we know this? Isn't it fascinating when you consider how this has been and continues to be something most all of us sense? A sort of intuition? And by the way, a belief in an afterlife or some sort of conscious existence after death doesn't, or at least shouldn't, diminish one's efforts to squeeze as much juice out of things in this life as possible. My experience has been and continues to be that doing my level best every day to follow the teachings and example of Jesus Christ fuels my fury to make as much of a difference as I possibly can in real, tangible ways in the lives of those around me right here, right now. In fact, the ideals taught and modeled by Jesus are that a person's spiritual enlightenment and enrichment aren't just an end goal to be strived after to reap the benefits in a glorified existence in eternity, but is to be experienced and worked out on a moment-by-moment -moment basis in this life as you love and help other people. He and the apostles spoke of a new birth where a person begins moving in a new direction that involves a renewed focus on things that are lasting and not just the temporal or temporary. It's about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Make no mistake, Jesus taught that a proper love for God inevitably works its way out as love for people. And the type of love Jesus spoke of and exemplified was far more than just warm-hearted affection, but actually costs you things. It's sacrificial. Just think how different things would be in our circles, in our nation, if we all did our best to approach life that way. 
I encourage you to take some time to have a look into things of a spiritual nature. Perhaps reacquaint yourself by re-examining what you have lost sight of. You might just find that you'll arrive where you started in years past and know the place for the first time. If you never have had any of these sorts of reflections, perhaps consider the possibility that, as Jesus taught, God exists and desires to interact with you in real time and will impact your life in real ways. Try reading or listening to one of the accounts of Jesus' life and teachings. I'll have a link to a free app that you can download and start that journey today. And even try praying, which, as I mentioned frequently, is also a form of calming meditation. What do you have to lose? You might discover that it is the path to gaining far more than you ever believed was even possible. Peace to you, my friends. Thanks for listening. You're going to make it. We're going to get through this. And Lord willing, we'll come out on the other side stronger and more firmly planted where we can be nourished, hydrated, and continue to bear good fruit. Thank you.